Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about everything real estate for the real estate interested. My name is Peter Edmonds, and I'm a member of the team here at Rennie. We're a real estate company of 300 people advising buyers and sellers from first-time condo purchasers to large-scale developers so they can make smart and informed real estate decisions. We made this podcast as a concise and consumable way to share our passion for homes, housing, community, and cities. We hope that this will spark the same curiosity in you that we have for everything real estate. All of the documents and links mentioned in this podcast are available on our website at rennie.com. So every month we do an Intelligence Insights podcast where we go through the numbers from the previous month and share the headlines as well as some of the insights that we pull out of there. So as always, we go through three key insights. And as I said, the first insight is going to cover that headline itself in that we've tallied an all-time high for October home sales in the Vancouver region last month. And then we're going to talk through the second insight. Sales have risen, so inventory is contracted, and that's nudging prices upwards. And then the third insight is going to focus on our employment recovery in the region. And then it's bounced back in a major way, but a full recovery is still a long way off. And joining me, as always, every single month, uh, well-prepared, well-spoken, and for the sake of our listeners at home, well-dressed, Ryan Berlin, Senior Economist, Rennie Intelligence. How are you, Ryan? Hey, Peter. I'm good. good. How are you? Good. Your back-to-school woes uh, been solved a little bit, or we we got a little more COVID turmoil happening? Well, you know, it's a, that is a very, uh, that's, a, that's a good question. <clears throat> I think the schools are operating fairly well, I'd say. Um, but we might have some new challenges ahead of us. Great. And you're up in the top of the hill in North Van. So, uh, have you got some snow yet? A little bit of snow yesterday. Yeah. There well, we go. Here we go. Really? It's snow yesterday. We, uh, we had, we had a dusting, we yeah. had a dusting and it melted immediately, but you know, Bowen Bo- being posy wing in there, uh, business analyst with Rennie intelligence, uh, Bowen's in, uh, in downtown Vancouver. So uh, he's either uh, jealous or, uh, or just, uh, questioning Ryan's integrity on a snow idea. Yeah, I'm happy we didn't get any any snow this weekend. So Great. the longer it holds off, the better. And you're from out east, so uh, being out here and not getting snow is that a good thing? I'd definitely say I'd put it in the pro column. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Nice. Well, you can access the snow here exactly if you need whenever it. you need it. You can drive a couple of hours or whatever. Yeah. Huge headline this month, but I mean, there's so much news happening this month that the lead got buried, if you will, um, on real estate. And we're going to talk through that. But really, you know, the headline being that October's numbers um, set a record for all Octobers. And October is usually a very active month in real estate. So Ryan, like big numbers being put up there. And and I think we what we usually do is we sort of say this is the these are the insights behind the headline. But I think the, the first insight needs to be about the headline itself. For sure. I mean, that's... So there were 5,900 sales in the Vancouver region in October. And that was the most in any October ever in this region. And yes, that is what we said during last month's podcast about the September data when we had just over 5,700 sales in September and it was the most sales in any September ever. So, I mean, what it says is that there is... There is a lot, obviously, a lot of demand out there. We've talked about the reasons for it, and we can get into it again a little bit more later on. But because activity was um, was suppressed earlier in the year, we're now almost seeing the spring market emerge in the fall. And I've said this before, 
there isn't a seasonal pattern to change in 2020. It's a diseasonal pattern. <laughs> yeah. It's funny and it and goes without remarking. I think we're all feeling what's going on and it's certainly having an effect not only on our work and our homes, but also on, on, on the market clearly and the seasonality of the market. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think in some ways the future is uncertain as it pertains to the pandemic and, and how our recovery will continue in the coming months and quite frankly years. But I do think that we're past sort of that, the, the period where we felt the shock and, and the total uncertainty about what the future held um, and I think people, you know, again, that were in the market before COVID are still in the market now. And we're just seeing some of that demand realized a bit later than we otherwise would have expected. So that's really what's behind it. And it's for all product types. I mean, or all home types, uh, detached and townhome more specifically, uh, on a year over year basis. So versus last October are up around 50% sales are. Uh, condos are up as well, about 15%. But what's interesting within that condo home type is that the one bedrooms and the, the, the bachelors, the one bedroom and the two bedrooms, we're seeing sale, year-over-year sales up uh, for each of those, but by about 10%. We're seeing a bigger year-over increase in the range or in the neighborhood of 40% for three bedrooms and more within that condo segment. Now, that only represents about 5% of all transactions, but I think, you know, we've talked about this suppressional shift, this COVID shift in buyer preferences to ground-oriented homes, bigger homes. That also includes within the condo space, that it looks like people who want to stay within that home type for locational reasons, you know, lifestyle reasons, whatever, are still looking for more space. Well, that's a pretty good overview and expansion of the headline itself. So, Ryan, what does this all mean for the market then? What does this headline mean for the market, this insight? Well, one thing is I think it reflects a, a number of tailwinds. I mean, there's the pent-up demand from earlier in the year. Um, there's the fact that you know stock markets, even more recently, um, have rallied through COVID and either they're near all-time highs or they've surpassed them. So, you know, depending on your investment mix, where you have your money, if it is in equities, you know, there's a decent chance that you've retained a lot of that value even through COVID. So money for a down payment or to help the kids move into their own home is still there as well. So I think that's also supporting the market and low interest rates, very, very low interest rates. I mean, now we're talking about, we can, we can confidently talk about uh, mortgage rates for five-year fixed rates for insured borrowers. Um, so those are the, those are people who have less than 20% down right. uh, and need uh, mortgage default insurance. We're talking about five-year fixed rates that are around 1.6%. Wow. And for uninsured mortgages, so those are people who don't need or can't get uh, mortgage default insurance because they put their homes worth more than a million dollars and or they're putting 20% more or more down as a down payment. Those five-year fixed rates are sitting at about one8 so we're talking about historically low borrowing costs um, that are also, I think, I think banks are doing more due diligence on prospective buyers. So you have to jump through some more hoops. There's more paperwork. There's more, uh, a deeper dive into your finances mm -hmm. and a greater burden of proof on you to ensure or convince the bank, <laughs> assure the bank that your income is solid, your employment situation is solid. But for those people who qualify, they're accessing cheap credit. Thanks, Ryan. So, uh, Bowen, I'm certain you have some uh, some really interesting uh, micro insights in here. So, under this insight about 
all-time high for October. Uh, like maybe can you go into some of the, uh, the the micro insights there? Yeah. So when Ryan's speaking to the over 5,900 sales uh, in October in the Vancouver region, um, he's speaking to both the uh, Greater Vancouver Board Area and the Fraser Valley Board Area. So the Greater Vancouver Board Area composed uh, 62% of those sales at uh, just over 3,700. And the Fraser Valley Board Area at uh, just over 2,200 composed 38% of those sales. And when we look back uh, historically at the ten or the past decade average for um, October sales and their kind of composition in terms of the Fraser Valley Board area and the Greater Vancouver Board area, the Greater Vancouver Board area over the past ten years um, has composed around sixty-seven percent, whereas the Fraser Valley Board area composed thirty-three percent. So um, we've seen that kind of shift here in this most recent October. Um, which is something we've obviously pointed out over the past uh, couple of podcasts here. That's that suburban surge you, were, you, you brought up earlier. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And um, another thing that was interesting is we were discussing a lot about, okay, well, you know, are, are people looking to get maybe a little bit outside the city or is outside the city where all the ground-oriented homes are, right? What's kind of, maybe it's a combination of both. Um, but when we look at condos uh, in terms of the change in sales year over year in condos, um, they're up uh, 13% versus last year and 34% versus the past decade average in the greater Vancouver board area. Definitely some impressive numbers. When we look at the Fraser Valley board area, um, they're up 22% versus last year and 69% versus the 10 year average. So even a, you know, a larger change in the Fraser Valley board area compared to the greater Vancouver board area in terms of this uh, condo product type. Gotcha. And Ryan, is that uh, to do with the proliferation of multi-unit housing options in, in the Fraser Valley? Well, certainly, I, I think that's part of it, <clears throat> that we're seeing more new supply of multifamily uh, south of the Fraser than we have in the past. But I also think we can't get away from the fact that price point matters here as well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can get the same amount of space south of the Fraser versus north of the Fraser, broadly speaking. Um, you know, if we're talking about a condo at about a 30% discount, or you can pay the same price and get about 30% more space. And so I think in this market, price price is always going to matter. And we're just seeing, you know, as you said, Peter, a bit of a maturation, I think, in the that south of Fraser market. So prices are still more affordable than they are north of the Fraser, although they are converging to a degree. Um, but we are just seeing a more diversity of housing options down there. Uh, and I think the sales do reflect that. Got it. Yeah, and I guess uh, further to that, um, I know we discussed, we had the kind of the early numbers for uh, the pre-sale side of things, thanks to our friends at uh, Urban Analytics. And now those numbers have kind of come full circle, where we've seen over 3,000 pre-sales or new construction sales uh, in Metro Vancouver. And um, about 50% of them uh, were south of the Fraser. Uh, And that was similar to Q2, where it was just over 50% were south of the Fraser. But back in Q1, that number was 33%, so only a third, right? Um, So that's uh, something that's been interesting to see, I guess, in the the pre-sale market side of things and kind of ties into what we're discussing here in terms of the resale market. And all of this bodes very well for um, Fraser Valley uh, home buyers and, and builders because you've got that suburban surge into the larger format. And then you've also got that multifamily, uh, um, you know, surge happening as well. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Bowen. Um, I, now, well, let's get into insight number two. As sales have risen, inventories contracted, supply demand, uh, and that's nudged uh, prices upward. Ryan. Yeah, it's interesting. We saw through the first eight months of 2020, essentially each month there being more homes available to purchase than the previous month. So we saw an expansion of 
inventory of housing inventory through the first two thirds of the year. Now the last two months in September and October, we've seen consecutive declines in the number of available homes. Now you can't totally separate inventory counts from sales activity because if a home doesn't sell, then it remains available and therefore a part of inventory. Once it does sell, then it's removed from inventory. Um, so, you know, it's not surprising in a sense that we've seen this big surge in sales in September and in October, and that has coincided with declines in inventory. The third leg of the stool there is new listings activity, because of course it would be possible for inventory to continue to increase through these two very active buying months if the listings were coming in and they're not. While we have seen this so-called uh, seasonal pattern in sales in 2020, the new listings activity is following a distinctly seasonal pattern whereby mm. we're seeing fewer and fewer new listings as the year progresses, particularly into the fall and then as we head into winter. So, you know, in theory, again, we could have seen inventory increase and we might see it through the end of the year uh, because sales slow down from their all-time highs. Um, I don't think that we're going to see a surge in new listings. One, because people, quite frankly, don't have the appetite to list their home as we head to the holidays. Um, two, there isn't that push to list that we maybe thought might exist when we were looking at this time of year from the perspective of summer. So we thought maybe now with the mortgage deferral window closing that some people who weren't making their mortgage payments because they were permitted to postpone them wouldn't be able to resume them. That hasn't been the case. Uh, high 90s percent of those who had deferred payments are now have now resumed making those payments um, and our economic recovery, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, so far has followed a V-shaped pattern. So we are seeing a reigniting of the economy to some extent. The recovery is going fairly well, all considered. So, you know, we may see a continued uh, contraction in inventory as we as we around the corner into 2021. Well, that's really interesting how the listings are following that seasonal pattern, whereas uh, the buying activity is not. So I'm sure there's that's a whole podcast episode in itself. And did, did you have any context on that or any insights into that particular phenomenon? Well, I think what was happening through most of 2020 is that, you know, the reason people were listing their home, that we weren't seeing distressed listings. So we're always going to see a certain number of new listings in any market, in any set of economic conditions, simply because people are changing jobs, they're changing regions, they're going through various life stages, like they got married, or they've got a mm -hmm. kid, or they're downsizing and they're moving out of their parents' home. So I think all those things, and we've talked about this, while much of our world was paused uh, for some time, that stuff was still happening in the background. And so we still saw people with a desire to, um, to make a move. And we weren't seeing the sales activity that would then trigger or the demand to trigger an actual sale, and hence the inventory built up. But now we're seeing that catch up. So we're getting back to sort of more normal levels of, of inventory and, um, you know, short of some real unexpected acute event, <laughs> um, like a total shutdown of our economy again, uh, or people who are all of a sudden unable to make mortgage payments, we're probably not going to see a surge in new listings uh, over the next few months. Ryan, the inventory contraction isn't equal across product types, is it? It is not. That's a very uh, good observation. We're seeing greater than average declines in uh, the inventory of detached and detached homes and townhomes. We've seen such robust uh, buying activity in that ground-oriented segment of the market that it has whittled down 
the number of available listings. Um, on the condo side, we still have seen year-over-year increases in sales, uh, but it's been at a slower pace. And so we have seen inventory build up in the condo space on a year-over-year basis. Uh, condo inventory is up 20% in October. So there is more. there are more available homes there. The market is interestingly... Uh, still tilted in favor of sellers, even though the conditions, the demand supply dynamics are a little bit different there, but it has kind of been moving more towards uh, a more balanced market. And so those differential patterns of supply and demand coming together then have, you know, different implications for the prices and how they've changed. So a lot of people follow that inventory number really closely, but other real estate interested parties follow something called a sales to listings ratio. So Bowen, why don't you get into sort of what that's about and how that's being reflected across the last few months and what it means for this month? Yeah, sure. Sure. So what we, what we do is we take the total number of sales and we divide it out by the total number of listings and that provides us with a percentage. Um, and then based on that percentage, we determine if a, a given market is more favorable to sellers, uh, buyers, or is in that kind of balanced territory. And it varies by region. But for, for the Vancouver region, uh, 21% or above, we classify as a seller's market. 12% and below, we classify as a buyer's market. And anything in between is balanced. So, you know, to, to kind of summarize it, it's just the share of available homes that's sold in a given month. So we've got in, that inventory number, that sales to listings ratio, and then, of course, uh, you know, price changes. So what's happening with prices in the Vancouver region, Bowen? Yeah, so compared to some other Canadian markets here in the Vancouver region, we're seeing more of a sustainable uh, price increase on a month-over-month and and year-over-year basis. So sustainable, what do you mean by sustainable, Bowen? Yeah, it's been more incremental, more single-digit, whereas in these other metro Canadian markets, we're seeing uh, more double-digit increases. Not surprisingly, within our local regional um, ground-oriented segment, we're seeing faster increases in prices than we are for condos in within this region all within a sustainable band from our perspective but we are seeing a bit of a differential in in price changes but for all product types when we look back to the beginning of the pandemic so we go back to february and march we have seen uh, whether you're looking at averages or medians or the benchmark price we're seeing increased values across the board And I think this brings us to um, insight number three, which is more sort of on the macro and less housing side, but a critical element to real estate. And that's uh, that employment has bounced back in a major way, but a full recovery is still a long ways away. Yeah, I think I think we're getting ahead of ourselves if we think that, you know, we're we're as close to fully recovered as it may appear on paper. And I know during this particular podcast, we tend to focus on real estate specific uh, data. But I think, you know, once in a while, it is important to sort of step back and look at the bigger picture and the context that is influencing our market. And so one of those things is, is our economy and employment. Um, and obviously, the, the housing market has been robust through an economic downturn. We know that. When we look longer term and we're not looking month to month, we know absolutely that a strong economy, a well-functioning labor market is a necessary condition for a balanced housing market. And so it's been encouraging that we've seen uh, continued employment growth in Metro Vancouver. We added over 50,000 jobs uh, last month. So we've now recovered 75% of the total jobs. We lost just over a quarter million jobs in the early days of the pandemic. We've recovered about 75% of them, which means our total employment is only 
we only have 4% fewer jobs today than we did at the beginning of the pandemic. So on paper, we're looking like we're we're in the midst of a V-shaped recovery. I do believe going forward, there's uncertainty around COVID and our response to that in the coming weeks and months. Even that notwithstanding, you know, we have been able to open up businesses relatively relatively easily to this point. And I think we're only going to see incremental gains in employment going forward. I think the other thing to keep in mind, while it's easy to point to some of the numbers and say, hey, this recovery is really on track and we're really doing well, is to recognize that our unemployment rate is still 7.7%, which is about three percentage points higher than it was when we went into the pandemic. We're doing great compared to Toronto and Montreal, other big metro markets, but it's still high We're also seeing growth in part-time jobs through the pandemic and a little bit of a decline in full-time employment at this point, which says to me that while our labor market on paper looks like it's functioning fairly well, I think there are people who are underemployed and not necessarily in positions that they were in before the pandemic and that that they will look to be in over the longer term. So there's other adjustments, structural adjustments that we have to make. But, you know, to this point, the recovery has been probably, it's probably gone better than we expected, mm. which bodes well, I think, for the market, not necessarily over the next month, two, or even six, but over the coming years. And certainly, as you noted, it, you know, the recovery that we've just seen doesn't reflect what, it, we're, we're, the recovery rate is slowing. And so it's going to be a bit of a tougher slog to get back where we were and above over the com- in the coming year, would you say? For sure. And I think we've all been speculating about what letter of the alphabet the recovery uh, would look like. Would it be a U shape, a V shape, a W, an L where we see a fall off and then a very, very slow recovery back. So we have seen a bit of a V, but I think it's going to end up looking more like a square root sign where we see some real gains, significant gains in the short term. Those will taper off and we'll still continue to see gains over time, but they'll be smaller and smaller. We have to remember, too, that we all have this tendency to compare our job, the number of jobs that we have now to where we were before the pandemic. But of course, if there was no pandemic, um, it, it's reasonable to think that employment would have continued to grow you know, from the start of the year to now. So we have even more um, to make up on the employment front to get back on trend than it, than it appears. So you know, we look at it as we're in, we're in this for another couple of years um, before we get back to full, full employment. And so, I mean, if you're pulling your crystal ball out right now, like, what is that? What What does the future portend for uh, for real estate in our market? Well, I look at all the fundamentals that drove the market before COVID. We look at um, a dynamic population, one that is growing significantly through interprovincial and migration and immigration. We had wages that were growing um, on a year-over-year basis faster than they had in many, many years. And we had an employment base that was growing very steadily. And we have, we still have a number of large US-based employers that have plans to bring literally tens of thousands of jobs to this market. So when I look longer term, I look at those quote unquote fundamentals, those conditions and features of our market. Sure, we're off track a little bit right now. But I think when we look at six months down the line, 12 months and 18 months, as we converge with our pre-COVID trend, we're going to get back to where we were. So I think from that perspective, um, I think the future looks good for housing, except that I'm a little concerned about the amount of supply that we have coming because we know that new supply uh, was slowed through COVID. Pre-sales were down. We didn't have a lot of new projects launching or made available to people for purchase, which means that 
you go three, four years down the line when those, those homes would have been built and occupied, they won't be. So, you know, we may be looking at a bit of a tighter, tighter market than we otherwise would have three years from now uh, because of COVID. And, you know, it, it remains to be seen how these revised immigration numbers and also the economic growth is going to absorb that inventory as it comes on. That is a $1 million question yeah. right there. Well, uh, that's a great place to end. Unless Bowen, did you want to add something? I'm just looking forward to the uh, November 2023 uh, podcast where we can look back on this and uh, see how your crystal yeah, yeah. ball. That's why we hung you out, Ryan, to be the crystal ball guy. Remember, they they invented economic forecasting to make astrology look good. So economists are always wrong. <laughs> just a reminder that everything that the Rennie Intelligence team publishes is available on the intelligence section of Rennie.com. You can sign up to have it sent to you monthly via email, or you can check some of uh, Ryan's previous crystal balls in the archives there by, uh, by looking through uh, all of our intelligence blog posts. Thank you very much for joining us, Ryan. Thanks, Peter, as always. Yeah, good. Good luck uh, getting up the hill when the snow comes there, eh? Got to get my winter tires. Yeah. Makes a huge difference. Yeah, we just had to, I had to pivot the, to a Canadian conversation. So thanks a lot to you too, <laughs> Bowen. You're not going to have any trouble downtown. No worries. Uh, yeah, Shoelace Express for me. <laughs> right on. There you go. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production. It's recorded on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. I'm Peter Edmonds. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>